0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Chris Wiseman from Shadow of Intent and Currents. He's a very inspiring guy because he's achieved all his success totally indie uh, for Shadow of Intent and is another version, in my opinion, of the template for what a modern professional metal musician should be. Pay attention. Chris Wiseman, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast.
1: Thank you, A.L. Good to see
0: you again. You're welcome. So what have you been working on, man? I want to hear about how your entrepreneurial mind has been turning, ticking, and uh, calculating things. Because last time we talked, I don't remember when that was, but it was a while ago, and uh, things were different. And being that, you know, you've done this all yourself... You're kind of a self-made band guy, business guy. I'm curious how you have continued to adjust and if you're making the best of it or if you want to kill yourself.
1: I think I could always be doing better. You know, I want to say that I'm like spending eight hours a day on pursuits in a disciplined way. And that's simply not true. Some days I am, but... <laughs> I can't say that I'm doing that every day. But yeah, as far as, you know, I'm like, my plan is, you know, still career musician, full-time. Set myself up very well for when everything resumes a little bit. The few things I'm, you know, planning, have been doing are writing, of course. Working, you know, with the other bands still. I've been doing a good amount of remote work, a few in-person things as well. A lot more mixing stuff since the uh, last podcast. The, the funny thing is, is that the vocalists in both my bands have both kind of taken this pandemic pretty hard, and neither of them has really written any vocals to all the music I've made.
0: So the dudes with the easiest jobs took it the hardest. I, I guess.
1: Think. So that, you know, that was, I guess, unexpected, because you see, like, Bringing the Horizon. It's like, yeah, we can't do anything, we'll just write an album and put it out right away. They actually put out two records this pandemic or one was just like right before the pandemic maybe but i love that kind of hustle and so one thing i did is i am kind of doing a third project now as well and i think by the time this podcast out it'll be out it's with ryan kirby from fit for a king if you guys know that band
0: mm-hmm. so basically nothing is going to stop you
1: yeah i i hope that child finish some songs and get moving, but they need their time, I guess. And it it sucks that I'm not a, uh, you know, my own vocalist, but I chose my trades and, you know, maybe one day I will be. But um, at the moment, I'm definitely dependent on them
0: for sure. Well, I think one of the things that made me not want to be in a band was the fact that I had to... Put my career in the hands of flakes, basically. Or, I mean, not everyone in my band was a flake, but uh, I had to basically put my career in the hands of other people's whims. Like, if they felt like never doing it again, then what? Or if you know they hired a hitman to kill their wife, then what? You know, any any sort of thing that could happen was reliant on everybody keeping their head together which is actually not that common in music because there's so many flakes and people going a million directions. So that's the thing that stressed me out the most about relying on a band for the future was having to rely on other people. You still have to rely on other people in business, but for some reason it's different.
1: Yeah, it is a little different because I think in a lot of businesses you see more direct returns And everything in music is like the business model is kind of a gamble itself, specifically like the merch system is where how merch is, you know, in the top three, maybe even top two ways of how like metal people make their money. And if your music's great, but your merch is not great, or you're not keeping up with it, then your business suffers. Like you can't expect someone to buy a t-shirt just because they like your music. I like... A lot of music but I don't have a t-shirt from every band I've ever liked so and yeah similar to that it's also dependent on other people that's the other thing in the business model is you kind of need everyone to move it forward but there are you know those vocalists that are their own bands you guys know Caleb Shomo the attack attack Mm -hmm. Beartooth guy he can just do everything and not be held back really so that is a cool point to get to but I really like the vocalists I get to work with, and in general, they have been pretty good about it. And it is unfortunate that they're taking everything so hard. Like you said, depending on other people sucks, and I don't want to that to be the be all end all of what I'm doing. So it's definitely, you know, I'm definitely glad I chose to work with other bands too, as they need whether it be mixing or recording, songwriting, etc. and I'm glad that I at least have my portion out of the way so that when their easy jobs come, it's all done and I can keep doing other things. And then as far as like the word entrepreneurial, one thing that I've been kind of researching and possibly getting into that maybe you guys, which is very unlike me because I try to keep everything music related, but it's
0: the Amazon FBA.
1: If you know anyone that does that. Be careful. Uh
0: Uh-oh. Let me know what I'm being careful about. Well, are you looking to import a bunch of things? I guess I might be. It depends who manufactures. I would hold off on that because of all the weird trade war shit going on. We don't know what direction any of that's going, and a lot of people have lost a lot of money doing that. There was a few years ago there were a lot of people doing fucking great, but uh, with all the trade war stuff going on, that whole Amazon thing has lost a lot of people a lot of money so uh just be careful
1: yeah no so i have i have like a f- a friend who i like used to give guitar lessons to and now is like a super successful guy with that and he's kind of just been guiding me on that but yeah he the one thing he did mention was that uh there are a lot of limitations now that did hold him back but it's it by no means destroyed him but yeah he he did say it's not as good as he wanted it to be but I definitely have to look out for that. But I will say, overall, this was a great time for bands to not be on a label. Yeah. Any any band that's on a label most likely relies on touring for their income. If I had to guess.
0: You make all the money off of your own album sales, right? Exactly.
1: And the cool thing about digital music is people say, like, oh, it's such a low rate. But one you don't have to pay them any manufacturing cost, So it's not like you're paying to print CDs. It's like everything is already paid for and you don't have to put in more money to it like merch. Cause when you see a gross merch number and then you see what the net ends up being, you're like, how did that happen? And merch company Mm -hmm. takes 15 or 20 and cost of goods and in Europe there's that whole VAT tax thing which and then you pay tax twice on it so that that all sucks so that's one benefit of like just digital music and number 2 is that i guess i come from an era where i knew a lot of people that stole music and i guess i sort of got into that don't come after me i haven't done it in a very long time is that even a thing anymore i don't think it needs to be it's almost less convenient to steal music than it just got the spotify account because i feel like It would just go on my iPod or my computer, but Spotify is just a much more convenient system. And so now the money is going to artists in some way rather than not at all. And the other great thing about something like Spotify is it's more of a promotional tool. And rather than worrying about if each single person is paying you what you're worth, it is designed to expand the number of people, the volume, as quickly as possible if like it detects that people like it so i don't know it just turns into a really cool thing and i know there's a lot of controversial opinions about spotify but yeah but
0: they're all wrong
1: i yeah that the thing is that they're not taking into account i guess is i'm sure as uh, entrepreneurs you guys know the the term call to action when you're like setting up an ad Yep. That if your end goal is to have someone stream your song on Spotify, then yeah, you're going to complain. But if your end goal is to say, one day these people are going to go to my show or get a t shirt or, you know, s- tell their friends about my band, then Spotify is absolutely a great tool. But if you're just going to complain, like each stream isn't what you want it to be, then sure you're going to complain. But it's just a little short sighted, I think.
0: The other thing about Spotify that annoys me endlessly when I hear the complaints is uh, people don't understand that Spotify has been operating at a loss, I think, almost this entire time. Musicians and industry people who have never started an online company don't have the first clue what goes into making that work. And to pull off an operation the size of Spotify is a miraculous undertaking. And the fact that it even exists, people should be thanking the universe that it exists. That is nothing short of a miracle that someone was able to pull that off. And people who don't understand what it takes or what goes into, what kind of costs are involved to keep it up, to uh, maintain it, to keep on evolving it, it's so far beyond what a... uh, singular musician who just worries about their own skill and their own band and their own career it's so far beyond that that i I think that they're stuck in this world of uh i need more per stream this this dude that runs spotify is rich fuck him also if you want to be that rich make a platform that changes the world too yeah that the that an entire industry adopts i mean of course he's that rich Rightfully so. I mean, seriously, if that's what you want, good luck. Change the world. Right. And the thing is,
1: everyone has the option to opt out of Spotify. If you don't like the royalty rate and you say everyone has to listen on Tidal, well, no one really has Tidal. I know some people that do. Sounds better. Yes, I've heard that. But the user base is a lot smaller. Apple Music as well. Apple Music and Tidal pay better royalty rates, but the user base is just a lot smaller. So you're just missing out on those, you know, the exposure. And, you know, I hear people, like, joke about getting paid in exposure. But I don't know. In my opinion, every little bit counts. And it's part of the exponential growth process. And you never know if one person exposed to expose it to 10 other people. And just the more reach you have, I I think that's... It's like I'm... A mailing list, too, is like just because someone's on your mailing list doesn't mean you're making money off them.
0: Man, that paid-in exposure complaint is uh, such a joke because the proper exposure can be so major for your career. Like, uh, for instance, Slipknot going on Howard Stern. Uh, I believe it crashed their website because uh they had never gotten that much attention before back 20 years ago or whenever the hell it happened things like that are career makers exposure is a career maker without exposure you don't have a career so i realized that there are scammers out there who will uh pay in exposure like you know these uh creep photographers who will try to take pictures of girls for free because they just want to take pictures of like half naked girls, you you know, pay them in exposure or really, really shitty local venues or, you know, stuff like, okay, I get it. There are people who abuse that, but the idea of getting paid in exposure, I mean, when a movie star goes on the tonight show, I don't think they're getting paid. And if anyone can demand to get paid, it would be them. I don't think you get paid for stuff like that.
1: I feel as if maybe at least transportation and whole hotel arrangements are made. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure, fine. big deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. At least they're not paying to be
0: there. Well well, the thing that we talked about with Mike was, and you did this too, the modern thing, uh, get your band big first, get it known first, then tour.
1: Oh, yeah, I related to like everything he was saying. It seems like all stuff that I had told somebody at some point, but yeah, he is absolutely right. But the thing that he acknowledges that I think everyone needs to acknowledge is it's way harder to get big off the internet if you don't have the experience first that you might only be able to gain from doing other things. Like if you don't know anything about the industry and you don't know anybody in the industry, it's going to be very difficult for you to just post something on the internet and gain a lot of attention they were able to gain attention largely because you know the i wrestled the bear once connection and they were they became intelligent they became smart they became more talented they had dan bronstein on their side who they made a connection with and they i don't know if they specific specifically say this but it would be Less likely for them to have the success that they have now if they didn't have all that prior experience that they got.
0: So, how'd you do it?
1: Currents, I would consider my prior experience. I made a lot of contacts and connections and gained a lot of knowledge about gear and production. And I, you know, met a lot of people. And it definitely helped that whenever my vocalist posted a video, it would go practically viral almost every time that that was definitely helpful, too. But it, you know, to sustain it, um, it helped to kind of have the knowledge of everything, like, we could have easily done all the internet stuff, and then played our first show and then just been horrible sound horrible. Because we didn't have any experience, but because we all had kind of prior experience to doing it. We were able to pull off a good live show as well. Um, and on like this production side, it's all really just tricks I had learned from like currents label and currents manager, currents agent. They, I would pick up things they would say all the time. And because if I didn't have all that, I don't think shadow intent could be where it was now because we didn't have, all those little tidbits of knowledge of how to like release things and what actual quality looks like and standards and branding and all that stuff so and of course by that point currents had you know toured. so i consider that what my prior experience the shadow intent would be
0: makes you think of a ryan bruce and his band dragged under that just got signed and they're not big yet but they're doing they're doing a lot bigger stuff than they were before And also, you know, his prior experience wasn't being in a successful band, but because of his work in the industry and knowing all those people, he was able to launch the band.
1: Exactly. And I think that's important. Beartooth, you know, Beartooth, formerly Attack Attack, they rose pretty quickly because of that. I'm sure there's loads of examples you can think of. Hell yeah. You guys know Hell yeah.
0: (laughs) You brought up a really good point, which is that these artists that we we're talking about that did the internet first actually didn't really do the internet first. And I th- relate that to URM. URM got big fast with a uh, nail the mix. Like I know we did the podcast for like nine months, but the moment we launched nail the mix, like literally over overnight shit exploded. Like we added more people in that first month of nail the mix than we did in the entire nine months of the podcast, and then it just kept growing and growing and growing. Suddenly, it became a real thing. Now, that didn't just start out of nowhere, though. Like I had all those years in the band, and then all those years as a producer, and then all those years uh, making posts on Tumblr, and then all those years doing my blog on Metal Sucks, and then all those years doing uh, Creative Live, and then I got Joey on Creative Live, and we had his whole... History of making the plugins and uh, all those productions. And I already had a community online for my creative live stuff. And so I already knew how to do education. I already knew how the scene works. I had all these contacts going back more than 10 years. Like, of course, I could make it work. It was obvious that I could make it work. And if I was starting from zero, I don't think so. Yeah, no way. So maybe it would have worked.
1: If you look at Suicide Silence, Attack, Attack, bands like that that were extremely young and probably didn't have any opportunity for prior experience used MySpace. I never was a MySpace user, but I know that these bands were so super young, but still got very successful very fast. I think part of that is because they were discovered quickly by... Back when record labels meant a little more and all that stuff they're discovered quickly by record labels and were guided that way and they were able to they they were playing out too though the thing about playing out is that i as much as i think the internet is more important i think to get to point a to point b faster it's playing both Out and using the internet is faster than solely using the internet. You're probably going to have more return, not for the effort, but for the time. Like over the course of the year, you'll probably
0: spend more money and it'll be a lot more difficult. Different era too, though. So I'll say two things. First of all, John, the people I know who have come from nothing and done something big in online education, one of them had a built-in Christian audience and was like first on the scene. And then the other one was a multi-platinum producer who stuck to pop, but he never started a school or anything. But there's literally nobody in our space like metal and rock who even comes close to what we did. And I think like we, we have no competitors whatsoever. And if someone was to get in right now, they'd have a real tough time just because of the size of our catalog it happens sometimes those bands suicide silence and job for a cowboy by the way i toured with job for a cowboy in 2007 when they were like 17 years old or 16 years old holy shit those shows were dude there were moms with minivans pulling up letting out a bunch of 13 year old scene kids oh my god it was wild that was one of those right time right place Right sound situations where the universe was just ready for what those types of bands were doing, and there was a platform that had the right kind of algorithm, and the industry was ready. It's just one of those things that it happened at the right time. Plus, those bands were geographically in an area where there were a lot of places they could play. It just worked out very, very well. But yes, those bands were playing, but They still did something that still is kind of like that era's version of what we're talking about. So now we're talking about build a band first, then tour. Back then, it was tour first, then get signed. So whereas a lot of people were like, I'm going to get signed, then get big, the real way to do it is get known first, then get signed back then. And that's what those bands did. They toured like crazy. Suicide Silence was selling venues out. Um, and doing, like, thousands of dollars in merch every single night. They were fucking crushing it before they ever signed to Century Media. Job for Cowboy was doing the exact same thing. Whitechapel, a few years later, was the same exact story. They were fucking crushing it as an unsigned band. Then they got signed, and then that expanded their their reach. But uh, that's the previous generation's version, in my opinion, of build it on the internet and then they will come
1: there's a lot of bands in germany like that i would whenever i would play germany i would see flyers and bands i would be on tour with and i know in the u.s they're big would play in like the small room in europe and then i look at the big room flyers and it was like all bands i had never heard of but apparently like over there they're like massive but only in like that area and i'm like wow that's super super interesting how stuff works I think this might have been Doc Coyle's podcast, but he had Rob Flynn on and they had just played on their first tour, first album. They had played to like for somewhere between four and 10,000 people in Europe. And then they went to the US. First show was like 75 people. How is that even possible? Because that's like, you would think with the internet in existence, there would be some kind of equal awareness of a band's existence. And, but it's really not. It's still very. Dependent on location
0: man so i remember when we first got signed to roadrunner and colin richardson was mixing our stuff so i got flown to london to sit in on the mix which was nuts the roadrunner people from uk took me out and i guess that the the head of roadrunner uk was fucking with me it's like so would you like to tour with machine head which i guess would have been like the president of roadrunner in the u.s being like so you want your first tour to be slipknot or something like, just fuck him. And I was like, Machine Head, okay. Because like at that point in time, Machine Head was bringing like 150 people to a show in the US. I was like, we already toured with Cattle Decap, and it did that. Sure, we'll, uh, we'll tour with Machine Head. I didn't realize that they brought like five to 10,000 people a night in the UK. And they are like a serious, serious band there. I had no idea either. The thing is, I think Machine
1: Head's album, The Blackening is perhaps one of the best metal albums ever. I'm a very big fan of that album and I did get to see them at the Palladium in Worcester. It might have been one to 2,000 people. It was a, it was a pretty good show, but I you know, the Europe thing, I just had no idea that they it was like that for them out there. Yeah. As Lay Dying another good example. This is in their comeback. Currents had just did a tour with them. There are some good shows. Some shows were like there's a 1600 show in New Jersey, but other shows like 1400 in upstate, or sorry, 400 in upstate New York. But then they just came off a Europe tour before that, where they did 4000 people in Munich.
0: Bring Me the Horizon, I think, is the closest thing we have to a mega band from our scene, a modern mega band. I can't think of another one that comes from our scene more recent than Avenge Sevenfold that's mega band status like
1: you wouldn't think so but Parkway Drive I feel like is bigger than I gave them credit for but they not
0: like bring me the horizon though they're surprisingly close they're gonna headline Wembley
1: easily yeah architects for sure but I don't know Parkway in the UK but I know in a lot of places Parkway can hit Those like five figure, five figure numbers, definitely in the thousands.
0: Nightwish, right? I'm not going to say that they pull nothing in the U S., but it's nothing compared to what they pull in Europe. Europe, they headline stadiums, stadiums. Yes, actual stadiums, and uh, you know they'll bring 1,500 in the U S., which is also cool. But stadiums, Rammstein, Rammstein in Germany. It's like a cultural event basically
1: yeah i guess what i was saying earlier i, I thought that internet at this point would have like a more globalized effect like bands would uh, be more and more equally popular in all areas because of the internet but that doesn't seem to be the case it's i think it seems like being on the internet and being big in certain countries are still very different things that don't always align and I can name so many bands that have like a huge monthly listener count, but I know for a fact, if they play my venue, they're less than a hundred people are coming, even if they're in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands on Spotify. So it's very interesting how like the metrics, you can't really predict or Black Dahlia Murder when we did our tour with them, they, I think we may have even had more listeners than them, but We weren't the ones bringing a thousand people to the shows every night. That was them and Whitechapel doing that. So, yeah, you just can't really predict. That's the the one constant I see in music is you can't really predict this stuff. You can have managers and labels telling you what you're doing is not going to work and no one's going to like it. But I'm sure many times the band has just exceeded all expectations and it just can't really be predicted ever. Um, you can have a good feeling about something, but you never know if it's going to do way bigger than you think, or if it's going to bomb and you just really can't predict anything. And I feel like with URM, maybe you have like a, or riff hard, you may have a little more data to base off your growth off of, right?
0: Yes. And no, it'll surprise the shit out of you sometimes. I mean, there's sometimes where I know something's going to be massive, like Devin Townsend. That's obvious but i don't have actual data to i just know it's weird it's not data based it's feel you'll bring on a band like fallout boy which outsells all the metal bands put together that we've had on and it will be a low month for us you bring on Arkspire, and it'll fucking annihilate the month we had you guys on was really good too so there there's like no rhyme or reason to this stuff carnival haven't put out an album in how long a decade They fucking crushed when they came on. Put on Godsmack, which just had a platinum single or album. Didn't do that great. It's so hard to tell.
1: I was asking Miami a lot about that. I was surprised that Arkspire was kind of like the band that played that uh, Summit, but he's like, yeah, the user base is very into the heavier death metal stuff, and that's kind of more what they want to hear. They don't they wouldn't want fallout boy to play the urm summit i mean not that
0: that's feasible i would i just don't want to spend the entire budget for the summit on fallout boy that would be insane as far as a band playing the summit i'm gonna pick a band that i think is cool that's that's about it like i don't care if they're big or or not big like we had like galactic empire play the other year Uh uh-huh which it's just it was just cool that's all um, is just fucking cool. Like, why not have like the pinnacle tech band play? It's fun. And Dave Otero was speaking, so it gave us an opportunity for him to do. He did a live tracking session with the Spire guys. Dude, it was fucking nuts. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. That shit was insane.
1: Arkspire is a funny band I found in like 2010, and I'm like, this is unlike any tech death I've ever heard. I bet this could do well. Today, they're probably top three in what you would call tech death. I would think it's hard because tech death is pretty specific, and Cannibal Corpse is big, but you wouldn't call them tech death.
0: No, I think Arkspire is the first thing to pick up that necrophagus torch, because I still think epitaph is phenomenal but like at some point that torch has to be passed on i mean there's not going to be another album that was almost 20 years ago so i think uh i think arcspire is the band that has that torch now whether or not people realize it or not if they don't realize it they're wrong because that's the band that's got the torch
1: you never know i think the faceless definitely had the opportunity to take it But uh, I think they had other plans.
0: <laughs> That's one way to put it. Uh, yeah, Arc Arkspire took the torch. All right, but we're talking about tech. Why don't we segue into guitar? Yes. Do you practice?
1: Yeah, so I, re- I relate to a lot of things other people have been saying that you've been saying. One thing I noticed you say to everybody is that guitarists practice a lot in their first five formative years, and then they stop once their band starts doing stuff and that's kind of their practice and then they're kind of at where they're at based on the work they put in initially that's basically the gist of what you, you you would say right
0: yes basically when you have the time and the energy that's when you should do it the thing is as you get older you have energy but it's more mental it's it's weird like your mental energy In some ways expands but your physical energy goes down it's just a fact of getting older and uh you don't have the same kind of energy to sit there for eight 12 hours a day and just woodshed while you're learning stuff and you also have the rest of life to deal with when you're a teenager you don't have responsibilities other than not dropping out of high school and shit, i know a lot of people <laughs> who have been on these podcasts who have dropped out of high school and done just fine. But still, don't drop out of high school, kids. Don't.
1: Exactly. I did pretty well.
0: I was just saying that in case you dropped out of high school. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. No, we, we've had quite a few high school dropouts who have done fine, but I just want to say for people listening, they are the exception. Yep. They are definitely the exception. If we're talking about some genius freak guitar players or producers who manage to, uh, make it all work. Even with dropping out of high school, they are the exception and not the rule. They would have been successful no matter what happened just because they are who they are. But uh, that said, when you're in high school, even college, you don't really have responsibilities compared to later. And so you can just take a deep years long dive into something and get that out of the way when you can. You're not going to be able to later.
1: Right, exactly. So from my experience I, you know, saw people like John Petrucci or Ingve would do six hour days and mm-hmm. for whatever reason I I guess I just didn't have that kind of stamina. So probably in my formative years it was more like one to two, maybe three some days hours. And you know, that got me to a certain point.
0: So that's still a lot.
1: But here's here's the great thing. I don't know if you guys know this but i you know i came in with guitar hero 3 and so the way i hold my pick is exactly how i play the guitar hero 3 game if you can see it's like this so both of my pads are touching the pick instead of Mm -hmm. the side of my pointer finger and the pad of my thumb touching the pick and so i didn't really fully realize that i was for i know this sounds crazy but i didn't Exactly realized that I was playing different from other people. I don't remember any of my previous guitar instructors uh, mentioning it, but eventually I, you know, tried practicing some harder stuff and I would watch videos of other people play it and I would see like such minimal movements and I'm like, I need to get that down because my movements are pretty big. So I start lessons with Mark Lambert. He has this amazing YouTube videos and I'm like, how do you do that in the, one of the first things he said was you're holding the pick very different. And I'm like, oh, so this is how you hold it. So this was a, a few years ago, and I tried playing like that for a while, but my what I could actually pull off was very different from what I could pull off the way I'm used to holding the pick. So largely, I kind of just continue holding the pick how I hold it, but I would, like, occasionally switch to that, and I found... I was comfortable sweeping that way, but I couldn't really play as effectively the other way. So fast forward a few years later, Wes Hawk messages me saying he likes Shadow and Intent and I'm like, wait, I know this guy. He's a great guitarist too. Thanks so much. And then we talk a little bit about his project and how he could do a DIY. And I think he's not planning on doing a DIY anymore. Um, I think he's going with a label, but on one of our calls I like say oh could I get a few guitar tips while I have you and he points out the thing about the pick grip as well and so I guess overall I am not in a bad spot on guitar but I know I could be in a way better spot so I'm like if everyone who's great at guitar is holding their pick this way I want to do that too so 2020 I've just been kind of trying to catch up between the two grips and at this point i can down pick it just as well but i'm nowhere near as good as alternate and the thing about this grip is it got me very used to an upward slant and economy picking and you guys know like downward slant versus upward slant right you know kind of so downward slant is very foreign to me and alternate picking And when I alternate pick, I always lead with an up pick instead of a down pick. So it's kind of like reverse to most guitar players, and that works for a lot of the stuff I have to play. But there are situations where you know a down pick just sounds better when you're open palm muting uh, two or three strings. I can play this stuff, but it doesn't sound quite as good if I'm not landing on the down picks all the time. So I actually took a few more lessons from Wes this year. He would just show me this stuff. He's like, yeah, most people should be able to do this. He'll like alternate pick at a certain speed. And I just, (laughs) he he just played circles around me. It was kind of of hilarious. But, you know, it was quite a wake-up call to just see how effortless he is. And another thing is... The wrists isolation, it's very easy for me to work in like my whole arm from the elbow when I'm playing certain things at a certain speed, like tremolo picking, so trying to isolate into my wrist, and it seems like these are things that come naturally to a lot of people, but because of the habits I've built for myself, it kind of just never worked out that way. And again, I'm not super dissatisfied with my playing ability now, I can definitely play a lot of the stuff I want to play but I still want to be able to do more and I feel like this is the perfect time to kind of hone in on that stuff so basically been trying to relearn my pick grip and catch up on that stuff and then once I can kind of catch up where I am with a downward slant then try to go from there again so it's been an interesting frustrating year but I finally got Master of Puppets. I've literally been playing that Alternate picked for the past 12 years, but I can finally do a down pick on it Which feels good to know that I can do something all the way through so there's one part that I can't do because it requires alternate picking It's a you know where you do the minor scale ascending and then it goes I could see myself doing the the upward scale but then when it comes to that triple pick anything where I have to alternate pick in that song just at that tempo, but adding an up pick between the down picks, I still, like the alternate picking is a little difficult for me. I might be able to do it if I use my whole forearm, but it might might come out interesting. So I'm trying to like not use my arm anymore. I would like to avoid carpal tunnel and I would like to, you know, do the minimal movement thing. Uh, but yeah, not all the way through, but at least I got a minute through a section just to know That I can at least do that. And that's something I just straight up could not do. Or couldn't even imagine doing before. This is stuff that some people probably do in their first year of guitar. I don't know if this is it for you guys. But a lot of people just like Metallica downpick their first year or two of guitar. Is that how it was for you guys? So I guess catching my right hand up is a big thing right now. And yeah, how I've kind of been approaching that is just make sure I do an hour a day now. Because I know... You could say that writing is practice and sometimes I count it like that but I've also just been doing I I basically have two albums done now I just I want to focus on the playing now Um, and even if it doesn't mean becoming Jason Richardson that's like kind of a lofty goal just at least being able to play everything 100% accurate I guess and not trip up on stuff a lot of the stuff i do it it's easy to get tripped up with um certain things so just ironing out the details and trying to get in an hour a day of just focusing on the right hand i guess
0: so the question is would you even want to be a jason richardson and i mean like it's one of those things like i think to be a jason richardson first of all it's kind of like an Olympic athlete. Like, you have to just be a genetic freak in the first place. Like, not saying that he's that way because cause of genetics. Obviously, it's genetics plus practice plus intent to become that way. But there's a factor in that freakish level of playing that uh, genetics aside, he wants to be, like, best guitarist in the world. I mean, he's never said that, but I know he wants to be, like, that guy do you even want that first of all <laughs> it would be nice but yeah i
1: probably don't want it bad enough to where i would spend less time focusing on writing or audio i have more of a passion for audio and writing songs than i do for shredding but i for sure uh, would like to be able to have some shred at my disposal as well
0: hmm So you still want to be deadly.
1: Yes. But, you know, you do the things that you're truly passionate about. And if you're not passionate about them, then you're just not going to do them. And I'm not going to practice six hours a day. It's just not going to happen. But I am probably going to continue to play an hour a day until I'm as effective with the different pick rip as with my old pick rip. It's It's tough because if I'm in a position where I have to play something hard... And record it, I need to hold it like this because I'm just not as affected with the old grip yet. Um, but with both pads touching the pick, is that really like, like this?
0: So for people just listening, just imagine that, just try to imagine, that's all I'll say. Okay, I have a question about Master Puppets. Because yes. it comes up a lot. So you know how the technical proficiency of musicians in general has gone up? over the years oh yeah i mean i'm older than you guys but i so i can tell you that my contemporaries in the 90s you know of course there were the paul gilberts and the Ingves and the Petruccis out there who were always amazing but yeah so there were definitely virtuosos but there were not virtuosos on like the local scene like there are now like People fucking sucked for the most part. Uh, Nobody could play to a click. Like, dude, it was not like it is now. And the freaks, like the Petrucci's, were few and far between. You knew about them because there weren't that many of them in the first place. Okay, that said, understanding that the technical, the overall technical level has risen, how is it that a song that's 36 years old? is still the hardest down-picking challenge we can think of.
1: Yeah, it's a long song.
0: Okay, let me tell you how nice of a person Nick Hippa is. So he's a super fan of my band, which was crazy in the first place. In 2009, it was crazy, and we were playing this tiny-ass tour. It's like Goat Whore and Abigail Williams, and like he came, him and Josh came, and uh, Nick, asked us to stay at his house. So we stayed at his house. And the next day my girlfriend was flying in and uh, I had to go to the airport and pick her up. And he was like super insistent that I take his vehicle. It's like, okay, he was like, he, he like made me, he was like, he, he was pretty aggressive <laughs> about me taking his vehicle to the airport. So I was like, all right, I'll drive your truck to the airport. If you really want me to, uh so I did, and I went and I picked her up and we got back and we had breakfast and then we left and then, like thirty minutes down the road, someone looked at the back of the van and we realized that there was like a headliner's rider full of shit in the back. Oh, there were like my God. cases and cases of water, red Bull, food, like. The dude must have dropped $200 on stocking us up. He didn't say anything. We traded. I gave him my van. I took his. He didn't say a fucking word. So he's a cool guy.
1: Yes. The coolest thing I think of, this isn't even him doing anything really, is he posted his like Spotify topless in bands and Shadow Intent was like number two. That's not necessarily a nice act. He was just doing what he wanted to do. But to me, that's just... That's touching to it's me. Cool. Yeah, it's t- it, touching is the word. I guess that you know, someone who's listened to that band for a long time that he enjoyed something I did was touching is the word. But yeah, good people are, you know, that they're around. But people that good are few and far between.
0: Yeah, there's a bell curve though.
1: No, there's wonderful, and then there's like super wonderful. There's like above and beyond all the time. Yeah, but yeah, I would say most people are like kind, courteous not assholes the assholes are well-intentioned yeah probably rare we don't have to go into a <laughs> uh asshole calling out section but um yeah they we've all had to deal with our fair share but yeah i think most people are you know where they are got there because they were kind to other people and they were wanted around I think if people were a pain to be around, they usually get weeded out pretty quickly. I completely agree.
0: The extremely
1: talented assholes probably find a way to stick around because they're still needed.
0: Well, because they make money for people. So the more money you make for people, the higher their tolerance for you is going to be. However, the moment you're not making money for them anymore, you're gone. That's right. That's why you've seen the people who are good people generally... You know, everybody has something fall apart at some point. Like, you can't have a career without shit falling apart. You know, the Corey Taylors of the world, who are in the biggest band in metal besides Metallica forever, and then start another band that becomes like one of the biggest rock bands and becomes a successful author. Like, that's not normal. Most people are going to get kicked in the teeth by life. Uh, no matter how successful they are. And the ones that you see, like, for instance, Doc Coyle from God Forbid, and then he tried a bunch of projects, then Bad Wolves got huge. A lot of that had to do with the goodwill people had towards him, because he's such a great dude. Everybody loves him. So it's when God Forbid ended, it's not like he just disappeared and... Nobody was his friend anymore, and he lost his relevance. Everybody still loved him, which gave him. I mean, obviously, he still moved to LA and took the risk and all that stuff, but he had opportunities still there, even if he wasn't an asset to anybody in a band, because he was a good dude, basically.
1: It's so that's why I think his podcast concept. Is so cool and it applies to you. You were on it. It all makes sense is the X-Man is someone who spent a lot of time doing something and then it goes away. What do you do next? And did you network and were you kind to people and did you make connections or did you focus solely on that thing and not give a shit about anyone else? And the people that didn't give a shit about anyone else after their thing ends probably can't do anything um, or are less likely to. Versus the people that spend that time building a network of people and, you know, building their trade in general, got to go on to do other great things.
0: Yeah, I think anyone getting into really anything, but music especially, should count on whatever project they're in ending. Yes. At some point. (laughs)
1: That's certainly my mindset. I would like them both to go as long as possible. Of course. But it's just not realistic to think that at age 50 the situation is going to be exactly the same. It would be cool. Like I, like I told you the other day, Randy Blythe is 50 now, and that's still fine. Yep. So it is possible, and I would very much like for that to happen. But solely looking at other bands um, and how nothing lasts forever, it's definitely smart
0: to be prepared for such things. So let's go back to guitar, about an hour a day. Do you have a routine?
1: A lot of the stuff I do is stuff that Wes told me to do, to be
0: honest. Well, if you're going to do anything anyone tells you to do, that would be the one of the people to listen to.
1: Yeah, there's kind of one or two Yngwie style licks he gave to me. Yeah, like I said, a lot of right-hand stuff. It's so it's so weird because I've learned to play guitar one way and he's kind of told me to... He He, he gave me two options, really. He's like... You've gotten very far the way you've been doing it. You could probably just keep doing it the way you've been doing it. But at the same time, I guess listening to Misha, Misha did your podcast and he explained how like he was unhappy with his playing, how he was holding his pick kind of held him back from what he wanted to do. Since you guys have a more personal relationship with him, you might know more about that than me. But that that also just got me more inspired and in thinking that I wanted to change it up to a more proper way as well if it could be holding me back i definitely have Wes told me i have like a case of option paralysis is i see all these things that i think i can be doing better and i'm just thinking about those instead of actually just trying like putting in time to get better
0: i put up a story post it might still be up on instagram and uh I bet a lot of people looked over it because it was from Jordan Peterson, and they care about political bullshit, Mm -hmm. which I don't. But uh, he actually is a clinical psychologist, and uh, that's why I posted it. But it was something about, see what happens when you pick one thing and get really good at that. Yep. Yeah, just see what happens. And that same option paralysis happens with entrepreneurship too because it's like, wow, we can do this and we can do that and we can do this side thing and we can start this project and that project. They're all possible. But uh, pick one thing, get really good at that, then move on.
1: It's easy when you have a passion to do something and you're not forcing yourself to do something. That's when it really pays off. And I think my passions were songwriting, performing, Audio, th- those types of things, and so that's kind of where I capitalized, I suppose. And I didn't have a you know a huge passion to just sit down and practice a lot. But I feel it- it's difficult because I g- I guess if you don't feel like you want to do it, you're probably not going to do it. And so this is uh, an interesting time for me because. It's weird because I do like playing guitar. And one thing I've been trying, Fight Fire with Fire, I tried it a long time ago, but I think I thought I was playing it a lot better than I was. And then I tried it again, and I think I was missing a few picks there. Um, it's quite its quite challenging. Um, so I've been working at that a little bit. And also imagine I was up leading with up picks. So it also didn't sound the same. So now I'm kind of reversing that and trying to get that.
0: All right. We do have some questions for you from the Facebook group. Two of them wrote the exact same question. All right. So Isaac Herrera says, how much of the writing do you do for both Shadow and Currents? And both bands have some pretty amazing songs. How do you go about writing for the two without stuff sounding similar?
1: Great question. Thank you for the compliment
0: so instrumentally
1: i would say i'm at like you could you could say i write like close to 100 percent instrumentally it's a little different for each um the past few currents records we've done program drums and i've just kind of handed all the guitar synth bass, programming drums um and then vocals vocals i'm not super involved in with currents and then for shadow intent it is a little more collaborative i'll help with some lyrics and the vocalist will help me a little bit if i get stuck somewhere or he thinks the structure should be slightly different so it's a little more collaborative there and then obviously on the last Shadow intent record i had a little more collaboration we had anthony barone do like live drums, and we had Francesco Frini from Flesh God Apocalypse, uh, touch up my synth parts a little bit um, in a more authentic sounding way. But yeah, I would say you could argue that I write everything instrumentally with minor exceptions here and there. Um, and then how do I keep make them different? It's pretty easy because currents is seven string and shadow ten is six string, so just mentally. I'm doing different things, and I kind of limit myself from doing certain things with each band. For example, Currents will do a lot of single low string stuff that I don't think sounds as good in higher tunings, but sounds really good in lower tunings. Versus Shadow and Ten, I'll do a lot of cello or choir parts slash faster, shreddier type of riffing that I don't think would be as interesting in current style so yeah i hope that answers that
0: all right well i think it's a good spot to call it man i want to thank you for coming on yeah thank you for having me i think you're a beautiful human being are you as well and uh it's been a pleasure talking to you
1: absolutely